Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church New Bern podcast. My name is Paul Scott Chernitsky, and I am your host. I am joined this week by a guest host, and he is also our guest preacher this Sunday, which would have been yesterday if you're listening to this right away, uh, and that is Vaughn Purnell. Hey, Vaughn. How you doing? How's it going, Vaughn? Great. I just got done working with this fantastic videographer, and oh, wow. uh, things are just zooming right along. We're, we even started early, and uh, it was not the first time we have recorded. Uh, we think we did it twice before. I think. Maybe maybe twice before, so it's uh, a piece of cake. Easy. Uh, your sermon, Vaughn, was all about um, stewardship. Is this, this is stewardship yet... Okay, the, this podcast comes out on Monday, so yesterday then... Was Stewardship Sunday. Stewardship Sunday, uh, and uh, where's Anna? Anna is in the mountains uh, taking a, a break, much deserved, glad that she was able to get away, and uh, she's going to have a quiet weekend. The last I talked to her, she was happy because it was cold up there, and she'd get to wear a sweatshirt, so... Okay, all right, good. Uh, I was uh, in the room with you just now when we recorded the sermon for for YouTube, and um, you talked about stewardship of the of the planet, of of the human race, and of first pres. I was um, I was high fiving you on all the planet stuff, and I and as I was listening to you talk about climate change and about um, the great pacific garbage patch and all these things uh i was wondering and thinking like where how you came to think about all that stuff where where where'd you grow up where where were you born uh i was born literally in my parents house in a suburb of pittsburgh a little steel town where my dad and uncles and granddad worked and um when I was growing up, it was a thriving town. It had, you know, clothing stores and fruit stands and bowling alleys and a lot of bars. Glassport had a lot of bars, but it was a uh, it was a growing place. It's of course like every other steel town around Pittsburgh is uh, run down. Pittsburgh itself has climbed out of it. But anyhow, I don't know when I started getting interested in. I guess when I started listening to the predictions of what was going on and what the problems were. Uh, I remember back when we were, um, my wife and I were, were uh, planning a family back in 68 and 9, there was a movement called zero population growth. And uh, the idea was that we can't keep feeding people. We just can't. There's a limit. And people were being encouraged to just have two kids. And I think that's one of the first times we got conscious about things. Um, we, we sailed. We, at that point, we, we lived in Stamford, Connecticut, and we had a sailboat. And so we could see the water and uh, the skies and what was going on. So we've just been, I think, our, our enthusiasm and attention has grown as the public awareness has grown, like everybody yeah. else. And you mentioned in the sermon, I, I don't like to talk too much about the sermon because on the podcast, they're about to listen to the sermon, but you mentioned the population growth even in your lifetime. Yeah. From yeah. 3 billion? 3 billion to, to 8, billion. 8 billion. Those are round figures, and it's not quite 8, but it's, it's yeah, yeah, 8. Yeah, and that's the stuff you, you know, in National Geographic, you read and you, you read that, but um, as we get older, yeah, you've, you've lived through that growth. Um, a sailor, uh, Amber, my wife and I, we used to live on a sailboat when we lived in Seattle. Um, 
And uh, Anna mentioned, Vaughn, did you used to be a preacher for a minute there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I um, I went to seminary in, in the mid-60s and uh, was pastor of a church in western Pennsylvania, in Du Bois, Pennsylvania, and then for about nine years in Stamford, Connecticut. And for a variety of reasons, uh, I left the professional ministry and went into the corporate world and did that for 22 years. Oh, wow. And we moved down here, and uh, I ended up working at Mount Olive College, then Mount Olive University now, and was the director here of the satellite office. In, and I got to teach. I got to teach Old New Testament and a couple other courses. So it's, it's, I've had really three parts to my career, and all of them have been different. All of them have been rewarding, and I don't regret any of the changes that I've made. All right. Well, we are so happy to have you as our guest preacher, and I really enjoyed the sermon, and I think everyone will love it if you didn't see it in real life or watch it on YouTube. You can now listen to the audio on the podcast. So we hope uh, everyone has a great week, and uh, I'm pretty sure Anna will be back next week. Unless, Vaughn, are you doing no, it no, again? No, no, no. I think she's back next week. I'm Okay. One week's enough. One week's enough. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Vaughn. And bet. Thank you for your help. Everybody have a great week. We will talk to you next week. Good morning to you out there on the other side of the camera. Um, my name is Vaughn Purnell. I'm filling in for Pastor Anna this morning. We're in the uh, chapel at First Presbyterian Church in front of this beautiful th three-stage stained glass window that our own member Sue Callahan designed and built. If you haven't seen it, you ought to see it. Before we begin, let us, let us begin then with a prayer. O oh Lord, help us to hear in the scriptures what you would have us do. We pray that we might encourage each other to do together what we may be too timid to try on our own. In Jesus' name, amen. The passage I'm about to read is from the 25th chapter of Matthew, if you're following along. It's 25th chapter of Matthew, starting with the 31st verse. This passage is not about gentle Jesus, meek and mild. This is judging Jesus. In this passage, I think Jesus was tired and scared and maybe a little fed up with the intransigence of his followers. I suspect that he may have been inwardly questioning whether it's all been worth it. Ten verses later, Judas is cutting a deal for 30 pieces of silver. According to Matthew, Jesus paints this picture of Judgment Day and it's brutal. It's binary. You're either in or you're out. You're either a sheep or a goat. The sheep on the right hand enter the kingdom. The goats on the left roast eternally with the devil. On what basis is it that the sheep and the goat decision is made? Well, Jesus repeats the criteria four times in this passage. 
just so there could be no mistake, no wiggle room as to whether you're a sheep or a goat. Listen for this. <clears throat> when the Son of Man comes into his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another the way a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. And then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world because, come in, because, this is the first time, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited. And then the righteous, the sheep, answered him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that you saw you, that you were that we saw you as a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing. That's the second time. And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, Get out, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared by the devil and his angels. This is the third time. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. I was naked, you did not give me clothing. And sick and in prison, you did not visit me. And then they will answer. Fourth time. When was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he said, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you didn't do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous into eternal life. First of all, let me say that I am so happy that Anna is taking time away to reflect and refresh. I don't care how energetic and enthusiastic a person is. There comes a time to step away and listen to the Creator and enjoy creation. And I know I'm speaking for many, if not all of us, when I say Anna has met and handily exceeded all our expectations. So when Anna asked me some time ago to fill in today, I was more than happy to agree, but I did notice a certain sheepish grin on her face as she made the request. As soon as I said yes, she said, you do realize that that Sunday is Stewardship Sunday. I said, no, I hadn't, but I was fine with that. Now, it will hardly come as a surprise to you when I tell you that preachers really don't like preaching stewardship sermons for a lot of reasons. But this is the first time I've seen a preacher leave town and literally head for the hills. 
I hope you got a chuckle out of that because sooner or later, I'll pay for that wisecrack I just made. It's not just preachers who don't like stewardship sermons. I know plenty of you are saying to yourself, oh, here comes the annual, give more money to the church pitch. I've heard it a hundred times. Okay, fair enough. And we'll get around to that later. But first, I would like us to think about stewardship in a larger context. Stewardship is more than what money buttons the preacher can push one Sunday in November. Stewardship is much, much more. It's more than you simply deciding how much money you plan to give First Pres in the next year. I believe that stewardship is the bedrock, the basis of our relationship with God and God's creation. I believe that stewardship is the core contract between us mortals and the eternal creator. Thus we worship, thus we give thanks, thus in gratitude we accept that call, the onerous responsibility to tend God's garden, this teensy tiny blue ball we call earth wobbling and spinning and sun circling endlessly in a vastness we can't even measure. I believe that stewardship is why we are here in the first place. Now you may be wondering what would lead me to make such an extravagant elaborate claim for stewardship? Well, how about the first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1? I want you to listen to this. I want you to listen for the repetition again. Listen for the sing-song, the chant, listen for the poetry, but don't miss the theology. Don't miss God assigning our reason for being, stewardship of creation. Genesis 1, beginning with the 24th verse, Genesis 1. This is the story where God creates the earth one day at a time and at the end of every day God says this is good and it's good and after the fifth day it's the sixth day that we're reading now and this is kind of where the trouble starts God said let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind cattle and creeping things and wild animals of every kind and it was so God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind and the cattle of every kind and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make humans, humankind, mortals, in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female. He created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, see, look, 
I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that everything he had made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening and morning, a sixth day. So just to be clear, we are supposed to be the managers, the stewards of earth and all those living, breathing plants and animals that we can eat or genetically modify, cross-pollinate, clone, tame to do our work or just enjoy because after all, God said this was good and God said manage it, take care of it, you're in charge, it's ours, it's all ours to manage and enjoy. Let's cut to the chase. When it comes to evaluating our performance as stewards of creation, what grade would you give us? We understand the job description, but how would you rate our performance as stewards of the earth? If you're coming up with anything higher than a D plus, or maybe a gentleman's C minus, you may have some research to do. After tens of thousands of years of mankind's rather benign stewardship, in a mere 100 years, of the last 100 years, only 100 years, we have managed to irreversibly alter the climate of the earth. We have endangered and or eliminated thousands of those creepy crawly things over which we have been given dominion. It's easy to list our failures. But it's not all bad. We have connected oceans, dammed rivers, harvested forests, plowed prairies, walked on the moon, landed on Mars, harnessed the atom, cured diseases, fought hunger, harassed, harnessed the wind, captured the sun, and have generally had a rollicking good run as stewards of the earth. Until lately. Slowly, we are beginning to admit that we might have gone too far. We have irreversibly overheated our house. We've raised the temperature of the planet one degree more or less. You don't think it means much, but a half a degree is a lot in this case. And it's climbing. It's hard not to see that we are teetering on the edge of disaster. And it's not like we haven't been warned, early and often. Rachel Carson, 70 years ago, started warning us. And plenty of voices have followed. People ranging from Bill Nye, the science guy, to Neil deGrasse Tyson, hundreds of scientists, Jacques Cousteau, even Al Gore, and the speaker at our last Rothermill event. We who have ears to hear didn't want to listen to anybody, let alone Al Gore. We can be so smug and snide when we want to be.
So as I was chugging along on my tractor trying to bring form to this sermon, I couldn't help mentally listing all the ecological disasters. Like that Texas-sized raft of plastic trash reportedly swirling around somewhere out in the Pacific Ocean, or the vanishing glaciers which I have walked, or the wildfires and I've seen the dead trees burn trees, and I could go on and so could you. But a funny thing happened on my way to advanced doomsaying. Two Sundays ago, October 30th, the New York Times devoted its entire magazine section to study this topic of global warming. And I dove in expecting to find the usual directory of disasters, villains and hopeless predictions, and, and those were mentioned, lest we want to bury our head again. However, what I found was good news, good news. Optimistic progress reports, careful analysis of the difference between one more degree of warming and a degree and a half, heaven forbid, two degrees, which would be pretty bad, but not inevitable. There were sobering, but still hopeful reports on the real possibility of stopping, not reversing, but stopping global warming, stopping the heat increase, saving the planet. The critical ingredient in winning this battle has to do with how fast can we get off of carbon-based energy and onto renewable solar and wind energy. The shocker to me was, it's, it's great good news, we are farther along in that transition than I thought we were. The transfer to wind and solar is, is fast and rapidly accelerating. I didn't know that. Do you know why? Not because all of us tree huggers and green organizations are triumphing, although we have plenty of successes to brag about. Not because the worst polluting nations have finally come to their senses, although some have. The most, this almost miraculous speed of this conversion is almost solely due to market-driven forces. We capitalists, <clears throat> believe it or not, have just discovered that carbon is more expensive than wind and solar. We capitalists have just discovered that we can make more money faster with wind and solar than with coal and oil. This has long been predicted, but always scoffed at. The scoffing has stopped the investing has begun. There are still plenty of problems. We still need to exercise maximum creativity. We still need to pursue science and technology, and we have to give allegiance to fact. But as one foot soldier who takes this stewardship of God's planet seriously, to you other foot soldiers, I'm encouraged for a change, and it feels pretty good. Even our own Noose River got an award recently for improvement, so yay Noose River Keepers. We talk about saving the planet. Let me assure you that the planet will be just fine. 
The planet has been through far worse than this in the last billion years. At times, the planet has been far hot, hotter, far colder, far wetter, far drier. I mean, like South America used to be connected to Africa. The planet will be just fine, trust me. It's going to spin around the Earth for another few billion years. What is in jeopardy is life as we know it. What it comes right down to is that human life as we know it is in the balance. The planet and even humans can survive without polar bears and redwood trees. And the planet will survive with or without humans. But it's human life, our life, we're trying to secure and stabilize. It's our job to fix this mess. God is not going to do it for us. Which brings us face to face with that gospel lesson we read earlier. A critical part of this whole stewardship deal is that we are stewards of the human race, no less than we are stewards of monarch butterflies and white rhinos. Yes, Cain, we are our brother's and sister's keeper, and it has become an enormous assignment. A huge job, an almost impossible task to feed and clothe, house and heal. Remember, that's the criteria for getting on the sheep side of things. It's been a, an, an, an almost impossible task, yet I contend that, too, care and stewardship of the human race is part of the deal. What Jesus is trying to tell us in Matthew, if you want to follow Jesus, if you want entrance to the kingdom, then feed and clothe, house and heal, the least of these. When I was very young, like a lot of people listening to this, we were watching Howdy Doody and Captain Kangaroo and Ike was in the White House. At that time, in round figures, there were three billion people on Earth. Three billion people. Now there are eight billion people on Earth. Three billion, eight billion. We certainly did be fruitful and multiply, just as we were also instructed to do in Genesis. We, especially those of us in rich companies, countries, seem only vaguely aware that we stewards might have responsibility for the rest of the world as humans. We're vaguely aware that somehow getting grain boats through the Black Sea or getting drinking water to the Sub-Sahara just might in some macro way be at least part of our job descriptions as stewards of creation and Christians. Now we have governments and agencies in the United Nations and NGOs and church organizations to work on this on the international scale. We support this work, 
We support it through offerings. We support it through contributions and taxes. And while not nearly enough, we keep at it. But Jesus, in that Matthew passage, was not talking to governments and NGOs. He was talking to us as individuals. To men and women who wanted to follow Jesus, who aspired to enter the kingdom, do the right thing, to be a sheep and not a goat. Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart. Well, feed and clothe, heal and house. We shall accomplish together what would be very difficult to accomplish as individuals. So we have congregations and committees and pledge cards and budgets and special offerings and all the rest of it that seeks to do together what would be almost impossible for us one by one. As individuals, we are much more attuned to local needs and issues. We, we see the need and we want to respond to it. We know we're supposed to meet the needs, house and heal, feed and clothe. First Pres for decades has been joined with other congregations in establishing all sorts of organizations and agencies to meet the medical, hunger, housing, clothing, and educational needs in our community. In fact, in some cases, First Pres was an initiator in, in these efforts, and we still are. In round figures, about a tenth of our annual budget goes to outreach ministries. The Outreach Commission has, of which I happen to be a member, the Outreach Commission has the job of monitoring these ministries, ministries to 15 specialized agencies in our area and beyond. These ministries are listed in your stewardship packet and in other places. The session and the Outreach Committee also make recommendations to the congregation regarding special offerings, like one great hour of sharing and the Christmas offering, and ad hoc offerings like the one currently underway for hurricanes. And that mason jar pennies for hunger thing, we're not doing that just for the money, although the money will help. We're trying to teach the discipline of stewardship to our children and to each other. All my life, I've heard many times the accusation, the church is always asking for money, to which I say, good, amen. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Paul told us, St. Paul told us to encourage each other to give generously. So we challenge each other. Maybe not as bravely as Paul did, but we do. At least once a year, we get brave. One day, a rich guy came up to Jesus and said, Lord, all my life I've kept the law. I've obeyed the commandments. I've attended temple. And Jesus said, that's great. Now sell everything you've got and give the money to the poor. Trust me on this. What we do with our money is one of Jesus' favorite topics. 
Now we need to consider one more thing over which we are stewards. And that is First Presbyterian Church, New Bern. We are stewards of the program and property of First Pres. We are responsible for the present and future of this congregation. I love this place, and so do you. We have a fantastic staff. They're not cheap, but they're worth every penny. We have four buildings to take care of, and two of them are ancient. We have a terrific educational program, something for everyone. In fact, it's so good there are times I want to be in two places at the same time. We have a great music ministry here, the bells, two adult choirs, children's choirs, and I love that organ, especially when Vance cranks it up full blast and holds the last note of the postlude for 20 seconds. We have a great facility for our daycare program. We use that same facility for church suppers and even pickleball. Wendy has built a great church library. We have this phenomenal stained glass window that some people don't even know where it is. We're expanding our memorial garden. We renovated the lighthouse, which we offer to the public for heavy use. We repaired the steeple. We fixed the walk on the door sills. And the list goes on right down to light bulbs and paper towels. I don't know any other way to say this other than to say it bluntly. If we value all this, if we want this, as with everything else in life, we have to pay for it. Our pastor and session have scheduled these weeks in advance, hoping that during the week to come, we members will give serious and prayerful thought as to how much money each of us is going to commit to First Pres and our work, to our divine calling as stewards of God's creation and of God's countless gifts and blessings. So stewardship of the planet, stewardship of the human race, and stewardship of First Pres. You can take it from here. Amen.
Friends, go now in safety, for you cannot go where God is not. Go now in love, for love alone endures. Go now with purpose, and God will honor your dedication. Go now in peace, for it is the gift of God to those whose hearts and minds are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you.